Welcome to the Pain Podcast, presented by Le Peuple Scientifique. We are thrilled to bring you a platform that unites clinicians, researchers, and pain advocates in sharing a pursuit, understanding pain. In this series of podcasts, we aim to bridge the gap between scientific knowledge and practical applications in the field of pain. Our episodes will feature insightful discussions with leading experts, exploring the latest research findings, innovative treatments and emerging trends in the realm of pain. Whether you are a healthcare professional seeking evidence-based practices, a researcher diving into the depths of the pain mechanisms, or a dedicated advocate striving to improve the lives of individuals in pain, you are welcome. Check out our website, get confident and competent in treating pain. Start today. Welcome to another episode of The Pain Podcast. I am the host today. My name is Tim Beams. I'm the co-founder of Le Pop Scientifique and I'm a specialist pain physiotherapist and pain educator. And today's guest is a very good friend and colleague of mine, Carl Monaghan. Uh, hello, Carl. Uh, I'll just introduce you quickly. And um, yeah, so Carl is a pelvic pain specialist and he's the owner of the Pelvic Pain Clinic, uh, specializing in helping men with pelvic pain and also the founder of Pelvic Pain Matters, where in fact the we um, work together. Um, running a group, um, a pain group for um, male pelvic pain uh, called Recover. So um, yeah, there we go. I'm just <laughs> my all all of my um, um, my um, <laughs> my biases out there. So uh, full full disclosure. That's what I mean. <laughs> so, but I've been, we've been wanting to record this for some time. And um, well, the first thing, uh, I, let's get a flavor of you and, and like why pelvic pain, male pelvic pain, it is not a, as I know it, it's not really a big thing out there in the pain world, is it? No, not at all. It's very, 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 sorry, sorry. thank you, Tim. Thanks for having us on the podcast. <laughs> it's not well known at all. We all, you know, um, let's split the the typical population of the world down the middle i know it's not quite like that but let's say that there are roughly four billion men out there that give or take a a, a count of heads um and we've all got pelvises um you and i have pelvi pelvis the the number of other men listening to this podcast also have pelvis as well it doesn't mean that we're exclusive of having pain in a body region just because women's health and women's pelvic physio uh, women's pelvic pain is 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 better documented more well understood more uh, researched better treated and a greater awareness around it doesn't mean that we are exclusive from having that uh from having symptoms in that part of the body but it's not spoken about it's a very taboo subject there are often associations or connotations with made about why you might have symptoms in that area perhaps there is a a theme of maybe you've been a bit promiscuous or you've caught something, um, but in actual fact, it is just another body region that experiences pain. Like elbows experience pain, knees, toes. There's nowhere that's exclusive, is there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And 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 well, you've already brought up a couple of um, you know themes, I suppose, that we could talk about. But what can I ask you? Why you're interested in pelvic pain yourself? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've I've experienced pelvic pain myself in my mid-20s. 
Um, I ended up with a big infection in my pelvis. If you're happy for me to dive a little bit deeper and be transparent, I'm more than happy to do that. I think transparency is good. Um, my lifestyle at the time wasn't great. I wasn't looking after myself, even though I was a therapist at that time of nearly five years. Um, and I just pushed and pushed my body. And when you push and push your body repeatedly over and over and over again, it presents itself with something that might be IBS. It might be a skin condition. It might be headaches or migraines. It could be anything. But for me, it settled in my pelvis, in my right testicle. That was obviously a weaker spot or a, a part of my body that was more prone to being reflective of my behavior. And a huge infection, um, non-sexually transmitted, just I knew how to push my body and was very good at it. Um, ended up in hospital uh, for four days on anti uh, IV antibiotics. And the, the testicle, because of the infection, got eaten down to nothing. So there is a gristle, piece of gristle in my right testicle sac, in my right scrotum, that's about the size of a, a an orange pip or an orange seed. And coming through that and the uncertainty and not knowing what my future was going to hold for me, um, that kind of kick-started it off. So that lived personal experience of it. I was then working at the Prostate Centre um, in central London, helping men with uh, lifestyle plans and stress management and relaxation for those that were going through prostate cancer treatment. So there are typically three prostate-based symptoms. One is prostate cancer, very well known about, great campaigns, huge awareness around it, superb. BPH, which is benign prostatic hyperplasia, which is the growth of the prostate gland, benign, non-cancerous. Um, so changes within the prostate gland, that's the second one. And then the third lesser known condition of the prostate, again, I'm using bunny ears here because I'm sure we'll explore some of that, is a condition called prostatitis. So the itis on the end would suggest there's inflammation or infection within the prostate gland. And whilst working at the prostate center, I realized that two of those conditions, BPH and prostate cancer, were very well served and very well understood and very well researched. And the patients were very well supported. The other guys, they were kind of left by the wayside and not very, not treated very well, not understood very well. And I saw an opening here. I could apply my own knowledge as a therapist and clinician and educator but also my own lived experience of what I'd been through. And that's what got me interested. And that was now 15 years ago, I was working at the Prostate Centre. And then eight years ago, this coming January, um, I opened the doors to the Pelvic Pain Clinic, where I exclusively uh, just treat male pelvic pain, nothing else now. I've dropped all the other rehab and other injury stuff I've done. And this is it. This is the only thing I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for sharing that um, with us. And I, I suppose uh, what's interesting hearing your first comment was um, that often there's a sort of taboo around male or pelvic pain in general, but male pelvic pain as, as our subject today. Um, you're quite open about sharing. Is it is it important that people you know if we, we should we and should we and how can we break this taboo then if that's out there i think we should break the taboo there is nothing to be ashamed of there is nothing to shy away from i think perhaps the population in which male pelvic pain happens we don't help ourselves we're not very good at 
being uh, coming forward about health concerns at the best of times and and certainly something that that maybe other people might deem to be a little bit oh that's interesting or 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 perhaps our sense of masculinity for ourselves or within a community might perhaps be compromised um i think absolutely the the taboo should be shaken up i think that by talking about it by being more transparent about it the 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 the, the listeners of the podcast maybe the male listeners uh, know someone or maybe themselves have had some experience of symptoms in their pelvis and the females, um, those identify themselves as females or males, anyone who's listening to the podcast, you probably know someone who's going through pelvic pain or has been through it, but maybe they haven't been transparent with you. Maybe they're not comfortable enough in speaking about this. So there is a taboo, absolutely spot on. I do think in breaking the taboo, we're more likely to be able to get greater awareness better treatments, better outcomes for patients as well, and and research in there. It, I'm sure we'll touch on the research. It's pretty scant. So, yeah, I, I believe that transparency is best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and thanks for that. Um, and that, uh, this is the hope with this podcast, isn't it, is is to spread the word and, and make people aware. Um, as a therapist, then, have we got, I mean, thinking that that might be the case, that someone's uncomfortable or feel vulnerable about sharing things. I mean, they've taken a step just to come to see you, haven't they, in the first place. Um, are there some sort of rules of thumb or some 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 simple um, things that we can learn that will allow someone to be more comfortable sharing their experiences? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I th- you know, it is a pain experience. And as I said, right at the very top of the podcast, it's pain in a body region. You know, if someone's got back pain, they'd probably be f- much more than comfortable to go and see a clinician or even a GP. I think if we can o- overcome the hurdle of where it's presenting in the, in the body mm. and realise that actually in seeking help, there is an increased chance of, of of getting help and assistance in recovery as well. The longer you leave something, then the that you're likely to increase the potential for it to becoming more and more chronic as it is left untended as well. Not always, but certainly the anxiety and the fear and the worry and the concern and the blame and the shame and all of those other components, they're definitely going to increase. And that in itself is likely to add to more complications within a case as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if people do go and you know seek help, you mentioned prostatitis as a <laughs> distinct category. Um, is that do you, do you find their sort of typical um, course of action that people who come to see you might have gone through before they get to you? Yeah, absolutely. And people now, I mean, before it would take a lot longer for before men would contact me, there'd be a greater period of time. Now I'm getting people contacting me saying I've had symptoms for two weeks. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So so actually that that pathway, the awareness of, oh, I've got something, I'm now going to reach out. They're they're asking me to do something that I don't have the skill set to do via an email, for example they do need to go and jumpsuit through some medical hoops. So it is important to go and take yourself off to a GP, get yourself investigated, make sure there is no medical red flags that are going on there, that there's nothing untoward or more serious. You might well be given rounds of antibiotics. You might well be given the typical AAA approach to this condition. 
antibiotics, alpha blockers and anti-inflammatories. And, and it's important to go down that route because it's a process of elimination. Mm. Sadly, there are no or the test that should be carried out by GPs and or urologists isn't carried out at the moment. So there is an assumption if you present with these symptoms, there is an assumption that, yes, it is an infection and that we or they should treat you with antibiotics, even without testing. And it's Prostate Cancer UK in 2015, and we use that as a good reference point, suggested that more than 95% of cases are not bacterial. But yet the patients are still handed antibiotics. It's crazy. It's very back to front. It should be test before you diagnose and then treat. But in, in this particular case, it's not. And that does lead to all kinds of uncertainty. But... We want to rule out anything sinister. Okay. Bottom line, we want to rule out anything sinister. And if if there is something, a medical red flag that's happening, then it is important to go and get that treatment. Mm. Um I've just been emailed this morning before we did this podcast. I get referrals now from urologists up and down the country, um, even some international ones. I've been emailed by a doctor's clinic, a private GP clinic uh, in Chelsea about a patient they've got so there is a greater growing awareness that the 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 traditional medical approach is not yielding the results and and the patient care that it should do so yeah i'm i'm very relieved and grateful for these referrals now yeah yeah um and and just for those who might be going through or treating people um were there are there specific tests that you might be asking uh, the doctor, the urologist to, to perform then? The the gold standard, yeah, thank you, Tim. The gold standard test, the one that should be carried out before anything and can be and is still offered in some cases, in some GPs and some urologists, is something called the pre and post prostate massage urine sample. It's a bit of a mouthful, so I'll unpack that for you. Um, there is a, 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 massage, um, a prostate massage, which the specialist the clinician will then not me this is this is a medical gp or urologist prostate massage and then the prostatic secretions are collected the patient then urinates and allows um stream to flow through the prostate and then they collect a second sample following a prostate massage you've got two samples and you compare the presence of bacteria from the first sample to the second sample it's pretty simple it's pretty straightforward I've got a patient at the moment in Canada who cannot find a clinician in Canada who will do this. And he's emailed, I don't know how many tens, he's reaching the hundreds of of urologists now to offer this. It's not offered. There are people over here in in the UK who do, and there are specialists that I recommend you to go and see if this is something. But pre and post prostate massage urine sample or the two glass test is another term that it's often used. That is the gold standard in identifying the presence of bacteria okay yeah 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 thanks um i mean that's that's, it also sounds like or you might know that you need these things but it doesn't mean that it's accessible and and therein lies another tough part of a journey as well for some people um you mentioned that you're trying to exclude certain things um from a prostatitis point of view from a diagnostic point of view is, is can people be 
sure that that what they're experiencing might be for instance prostatitis and and how 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 would they know that it's a so prostatitis is an old term now and the reason we've been using it here is to identify this back in 1999 the so 24 years ago the national institute of health suggested that this is an old and spurious term and it should be updated to the term chronic pelvic pain syndrome cpps but it's still a waste bucket diagnosis so you might have someone like me who had epididymoorchitis, inflammation in the epididymis and the orchid or the testicle. You might have someone who's presenting with non-specific urethritis, so symptoms in the urethra. You might have painful bladder syndrome, formerly known as interstitial cystitis. You might have proctalgia fugax, which is symptoms in and around the rectum. There's lots of other symptoms that are chucked into this and it has been termed a waste bucket diagnosis that are often chucked into this waste bucket diagnosis so it's not clear and obvious what someone may present with one symptom in in their pelvic area that another patient may present with a dozen symptoms in and around the pelvis anywhere between the knees and the ribs often associated with urinary dysfunction or sexual dysfunction or both and they'll be given the same diagnosis. So it's, there's a huge pool to be uh, a huge pool to to kind of uh, of patients that might present with these symptoms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what you're saying there is massive differences between individuals. Then, yeah, huge yeah. differences. Yeah, wow. and the waste paper basket or um, diagnosis. Uh, tell me what that means. It means it's a catch-all diagnosis. It means that a man presenting with these symptoms is likely to be given that diagnosis. It's a throwaway diagnosis, if you like, um, because often men with these type of symptoms, and this doesn't help, when they go to a specialist, they're often dismissed. We can't find anything wrong with you, even though they may not be doing the right testing, because you don't respond to traditional treatments, antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, alpha blockers. So therefore, we can't diagnose, we can't find anything wrong with you. Therefore, there is nothing wrong with you. It's in your head. Avoid stress. It will pass. Or this is a lifelong condition you'll just have to live with. Mm. This is untreatable. And so therefore, it's a throwaway diagnosis without great prognosis from the traditional medical world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I'd love to spend more time there, but I've got some other questions I want to ask. But, but I mean, that's not great, is it? You, you know, diagnosis through exclusion as opposed to inclusion isn't helpful for people. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I, I'm wondering. Then you've mentioned the AAA approach as something that might be a sort of typical approach for um, pelvic pain but also that that isn't always effective for people. Not that it's never effective, but it's not always effective for people. So so in your mind, what might a, um, or, or, or what, what, what would be a more effective approach if we're, if we're thinking about current understanding? So because it is multifaceted, because the condition presents itself, and not only have you got the symptoms, but you then have the suffering and the uncertainty of the patient perhaps the avoidance of activities and then huge amounts of stress and anxiety. A multifaceted approach is always going to be, multidimensional approach is always going to be better for the individual. If we can truly understand the patient, patient-centered care, then we're better, 
we're more likely to have better outcomes for that particular individual, even if it's a monotherapy. So for example, internal pelvic floor trigger point release as one particular modality, which has gained quite a bit of traction, and some patients do respond, but it is might be the pathway of care if you go to a traditional pelvic floor physio, or like many men go, is to a women's health physiotherapist, because there aren't enough men or there aren't enough therapists treating male pelvic pain. You might get something called shockwave therapy to the pelvis, which again is a monotherapy. Anything that is only covering one aspect of that, and often very, very limited, one aspect of that person's condition, you're not going to get the outcomes that are likely to yield the greater results. If you combine even those two, pelvic floor physio or shockwave therapy, with other modalities and the research backs this up, then you're more likely to get more positive outcomes as a result of that as well, which, which is good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need a rounded approach. We need a number of different skills then, don't we? Um, I've got to say, <laughs> not being flippant, but uh, electroshock therapy to the pelvis sounds quite scary. Um, so, yeah, I could understand that, you know, some people with pain might be balking at the idea of going through something like that um um so so okay so we've got this idea that a, a rounded approach um multifaceted approach treating someone as a as a as an individual you were saying as well uh is is a sort of a, a more appropriate sensible given what we understand about the different elements of what make up pelvic pain um do so so from a research point of view i i'm really uh, interested to know like where are we at in terms of male pelvic pain like what do we know where's it going what are the sort of frontiers um at the moment here it's thank you tim it's pretty dire <clears throat> i'll be honest with you there's not a lot of research well, well there's not much research in pain anyway is there really compared to perhaps other health conditions and <clears throat> because of the lack of awareness as part of this there's not a lot of funding that comes through when it comes to pelvic pain condition male pelvic pain conditions um a lot of it is monotherapy um even even now there's still research in the the validity of using antibiotics in the treatment of it whereas back in the 60s it was back in 1960s um, it was suggested that antibiotics are no better than placebo in the treatment of male pelvic pain conditions. But pharma pay a lot of money for research. Um, it's still monotherapy, like shockwave therapy. There was a paper that was released uh, last month about the benefits of using um, electro shockwave therapy. But the follow ups only went up to 20 weeks, for example, so, and it's a pretty small um, cohort that the the research is being done on. There is more of an interesting. I've got a paper here, which I'll read the title out for, which suggests that there is a slight shift into other areas of, of understanding. Um, but there have been like, and this isn't the only pain model to use. It seems to be a bit of a fashionable term at the moment. But the biopsychosocial model of pelvic pain. Um, in terms of looking a bit more at multifaceted approaches, that seems to be a buzzword or a key phrase or a, a model model of pain, or it should be health and well-being, really, shouldn't it? But um, 
it, there is a little bit more research coming under that banner, which is good. It is suggesting that we look beyond. Um, this one dropped into my inbox on the 13th of November. So last last week, um, last Monday, glial cells of the central nervous system, a potential target in chronic prostatitis and chronic pelvic pain syndrome. Now, this is interesting because it looks at other roles that uh, they've taken a pain model and the, the, the kind of role of glial cells in pain presentations, and they're applying it to this particular model at this particular zone of pain in the pelvis and i find it interesting because there is a a slight step away from the norm of it just being you treat with antibiotics or you stick some needles in the shockwave therapy um and it considers that general pain and psychosocial symptoms influence the nervous system and glial cell activation so that's fascinating unfortunately a lot of the research for this particular paper was based upon rat and mice studies um and and their potential applications in the human but it is interesting and if you are interested in research around male pelvic pain the mapp the multidisciplinary approach to pelvic pain is a great website to go and find out research on there's some um fantastic researchers on there and and um more than just looking at monotherapies so yeah that would be something to go and check out yourself yeah 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 so it sounds like um not much research out there i mean not much known let's be honest um but also a sense that you know it's difficult for for men experiencing pain sometimes to even access you know help or 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 accept that they need to access help um perhaps that's changing a little bit from your experience uh, which is great to hear um from a diagnostic point of view it's a diagnosis of exclusion, as you called it, a waste paper basket uh, and diagnosis, which um, is 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 tough, isn't it, then? Um, because you're sort of left with a bit of uncertainty, as I'm hearing it. Mm -hmm. um, massive variation in terms of someone's presentation between different individuals. And uh, and therefore, it makes sense, doesn't it, that monotherapies, you know, uh, they're going to be fairly um limited in terms of what they're targeting uh are not as effective as having a more rounded um multiple pronged approach um and in terms of research it's starting to embrace some of the um interesting i suppose i mean if we're interested in the neuroscience of pain for instance uh the the role of the central nervous system and cells within the central nervous system like glial cells in terms of how they might change and shift in terms of activation um with pelvic pain um is that a fair enough summary there so far yeah. uh so i suppose last question and i know that we could have spent all day actually talking together um and i and i love having a chat with you about this but um if so for the men coming here i i'm really interested in in messages is is there is there hope for someone experiencing pelvic pain um and and why if there is so yes there is hope it's not the end of the world that you the messaging we receive myself included from doctors and neurologists is not great and it really does confuse and <clears throat> can muddy the pathway of a patient's recovery 
recovery is possible. It, it doesn't mean it's going to be straightforward and easy. Um, and it's going to take time and effort and finding the right therapist or therapists to work with you on, on this approach. But if you are experiencing these symptoms, do look beyond that traditional, if it's not working for you, if the AAA approach isn't working for you, do look beyond traditional urological treatment. They, they, the system is set up to fail patients and urologists. Urologists don't have the skills, the soft skills, the person-centered skills. They're great at removal or medication of tissue, but but they don't have the skill set for individual patients. So go off and find someone else. Find other therapists to work with. That that's that's my message to you. There is hope. You can overcome this. It is tricky. It is complex. But with the right therapist or therapist team around you, it can make a massive, massive difference in your recovery. And we're seeing that, right? We've just finished a recover group ourselves, a group of men going through this on our online program, month five or six, and they're in a vastly different place. Their, their hope for the future, their understanding is hugely different at the moment. And it's lovely to see. It's really, really wonderful to be with these guys on that journey to to transformation ultimately yeah it's a lovely word actually to use isn't it yeah 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 um carl thanks so much i mean we're just dipping our toes into male pelvic pain or cpps here aren't we and and i hope that there's a little bit of knowledge imparted here that we can start sharing we really really desperately want to just lift the knowledge base of an awareness of of male, male pelvic pain so um and there's hope there's hope but it will be hard work for some of you it will be really hard work so getting the right support at the right time is is absolutely necessary so carl thank you so much and if you've listened to this podcast you like it please you know, follow us like it share tell people about it we really do want to just spread the word and and, and build the knowledge of pain out there in the world so that would be a, a great help for us and uh, for all people experiencing pain in the future as well which is really what we want we want to just improve that care out there so um awesome thanks so much pleasure thank you for having us <laughs>